Welcome to the Peace Over Pieces podcast, hosted by Clara Baldwin. Peace Over Pieces is a nonprofit domestic violence organization creating podcasts with victims while providing donations, hotline information, and resources. If you or anyone you know is in need of financial or emotional assistance related to domestic abuse, please visit our website for contact information. Now, without further ado, please enjoy the next episode. Okay, so my name is Loz and I'm so grateful to be here today and to be given the opportunity to speak about this. I'm a really big believer that sharing our stories is not only healing for ourselves, but it's healing for others. Because I know when I was in the midst of it all, I was searching wide for something that could just give me a sense of normalcy or an explanation for why I was feeling what I was feeling and what was going on. So I'm going to start by going back into my story. So it's only now that since I've left and I've been three years out that I've actually realised that my younger years had a lot to do with the choices that were made and the behaviour that I tolerated. So the significant part in my story was when I was five years old, my 21-year-old brother died in a car accident coming home from work. The death of him led to a spiral effect on my family. The, I have two brothers that were survived. They weren't in the accident, but they weren't, um, they were still alive. And the brother that was quite close to him and the next brother in age became a drug addict after his passing. He did not cope with him passing very well. And my mum began to drink a lot. She didn't cope with the passing either. So that led to a very dysfunctional family. There was lots of violence, lots of fighting. My brothers um, had different dads to me and my mum and dad were still together. So they used to turn on my dad. So I'd come home from school to lots of fighting, lots of arguing and stuff like that. And so over the course of my life, that became normal. That tension, fight or flight feeling became normal and all behaviour was put down as being normal because we still loved each other at the end of the day, right? So we could tolerate having things thrown at us and being spoken to and told we were fat and ugly and our actions were poor because deep down we loved each other. So I went through life hearing the family fighting all night, lots of drinking, My brother was always, you know, eyes rolling in the back of his head, drooling and on drugs. And then when he would come down or wouldn't have money, he would then turn on everyone. And, you know, there was he'd bring weird people home with him and lots of fighting. And it was not a very nice place to be. So, you know, one, two, skip a few years through my life. At 18 years old, I met a 31-year-old man, which... My brothers were older than me, so it wasn't abnormal to be hanging around with someone that was older and we just struck up a bit of a friendship and, you know, he was coming out of a marriage before me and I was had just split up with my boyfriend and our friends were dating, so we kind of started hanging out and then we were hanging out, we used to party a lot, so the writing was definitely there from the start. I just didn't see it or didn't want to see it or, you know, coming from the life that I used to live in, it was pretty normal. So we used to party a lot. There was drugs, alcohol, everything involved. And then six months later, I was pregnant. So I think I was, yeah, I was 19 by this time. So when we found out I was pregnant, he was a little bit taken back. He was obviously in his 30s and getting divorced, early 30s, getting divorced. And I was young and deep down, I just really wanted to have this baby. And so we spoke about it and came to the conclusion that we would have the baby and then that led to 14 years in being together. 
So we went on to have a further two babies. We bought houses. We got married. We moved interstate a few times. We brought a business together and that became our life. In all honesty, though, the emotional abuse started quite young and straight into the relationship. There was always statements like, you know, one day we'd had a big fight, an argument, and I wanted to take my son to go visit my mum just to have some breathing space and all our assets were always in his name. And he was like, if you leave this house, I'm going to report the car stolen so you don't make it and they bring you back. And then on our wedding day, he made a passing statement in my ear that was a joke and said, Lauren, there's no divorce, there's only murder. And then that became quite a blanket statement of our relationship. And then, you know, if I was going to go out for dinner with my friends or something like that, and I wore a T-shirt or a top or a dress or something that was a little bit revealing, he'd be like, tits out for the boys, hey, you just want attention and so on and so forth. He really didn't like my friends or family and quite often put especially my family down, which is funny because now he's actually got with my brothers who I don't speak to anymore and, you know, tried this big smear campaign against me. Anyway, going back to that, our life continued with him dictating most of our moves. So if we went shopping for food, I had to stack the shopping in a particular way on the conveyor belt or he would lose his mind and he would get quite angry at me because you know, the apples got bruised or I shouldn't put the flour with the milk and stuff like that. So it was always just these small controlling things. Uh, The way I hung the clothes on the line, I had to hang particular clothes in a particular order. So when the sun hit them, they dried better and stuff like that. Then as the years went on, it got a little bit worse. Like if I decided to go out for drinks with my friends, he would message me continuously all night, abuse. When are you coming home? What are you doing? Who are you with? Are you talking to men? And it would go on and go on and go on. So at the start, I would respond to every message and be like, I'll be home soon, I'll be home. And then as the years got on, I felt for me, I always wanted to rebel a little bit against it because I knew I knew it was wrong, but I just presumed this was because he loved me and he was being protective and caring. So I allowed it to happen. And then I started getting to the stage where I'd turn my phone off and be, I'll be home in the, like, you know, in the morning when I'm finished having a dance, you know, I was early 20s. And even though we had children, they were very much at safe and at home with him, but he just couldn't handle it. So we were together for 14 years and their emotional abuse and the coercive control was quite mild throughout the years. But then we decided to move interstate for me to open a business or own a business with a business partner and he was to stay home with the kids and that was in 2014 and that was when it started to escalate because the way that I got the small little breaks and got to have a little bit of a normal life was because he had friends and he used to motorbike ride and go do things with them. But then when we moved into state, he didn't have access to them. So that's when he became really quite in tune and observant and over the top with my whereabouts and what I was doing. So from 2014 to 2019, I worked in the business. We had the three kids and it was very much just work, repeat, do what he said, and, you know, not really have much of a life. And then in 2017, we decided to sell one of our homes and buy a home in the south of South Australia. And, you know, we stayed with my mum for a bit and he kind of got a little bit better for a few months there. And now I look back, it was because he had someone like my parents were with us. They were watching his behaviour too. So his behaviour was quite better. And then as soon as we got our own home, that was when things escalated more. He always smoked marijuana. And if we went out, he wasn't a huge drinker. So quite often 
he would turn to drugs as his way of partying because he didn't really like drinking very much. But then when we moved into the new home, he decided he wanted to go back to work and the job that he found, the guy was quite a heavy coke user and that was the start of the end, really. So his behaviour became more erratic. On a Friday night, he would stay at what they'd call the boneyard and he would stay there. And then when he'd come home, you could tell, and I'd be like, oh, what have you been doing? And you could tell he was on something. He became withdrawn. He would sit in the shed all night and just play on his phone. Uh, He didn't really want to do anything with the kids or I. He never really did much anyway, but it became very much apparent in the last two years. He would just get really aggressive, like, all the time and without warning. So we'd say something and he would turn around and retaliate it. And then that went on for about a year. And then in the last year before I left, that's when things escalated even higher. So nine months before I left, which was the January of 2019, things become increasingly worse. I'd had a hysterectomy in 2017 and, you know, was on some hormone replacement stuff with my thyroid and things like that. And because he became increasingly agitated and was in the shed all the time, he wasn't really coming to bed, I suppose. We didn't have a huge sex life and stuff. He would come in and lay in the bed and I'd be asleep. And what I can put it down to is because of the drug addiction, he started twitching in his sleep. So he started waking me up by grabbing me and shaking me and telling me that I was masturbating in my sleep. So I'd be dead to the world of sleep and then I'd wake up to someone grabbing me and shaking me and being like, you're fucking disgusting, you're so gross. And I'd be like, what? And then he'd be like, you're masturbating, you're filthy and all this kind of stuff. So over the course from January to June, I hadn't told anyone what was going on because I was really embarrassed that we'd moved from just, you know, little pics and, you know, I don't like your friends and you can't go out for dinner and you can't do anything without the kids and controlling behaviour in that sense to now I couldn't even sleep. So I'd lost a lot of weight because I was so stressed and I wasn't sleeping and I looked absolutely awful. And so from January to June, I wasn't sleeping. I taught myself to sleep with my hands over the doona because I needed proof in my mind because I started to believe I was going crazy and I was like, what is wrong with me? I'm, I'm filthy, I'm disgusting. So I taught myself to sleep with my hands over the doona because that way when he would grab me and wake me up, I could like grab my hands and smell them and be like, no, I'm not doing these things that you say I'm doing. And then it got to June and I was so broken and I went to work one day and my business partner was there and she's like, what's the go? And I just told her, I'm like, this is happening. I've Googled it. I don't know if something's wrong with me. There is a syndrome where you masturbate in your sleep and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, Loz, no, like he's always been controlling. You need to see this for what he is. Like he's he's on drugs and he's doing these things and you've said copious times that you thought that's what was happening. And she's like, you know, I think you need to do something about it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go see a doctor because I needed clarification that if it was me, I needed help because I couldn't live like this any longer. And if it wasn't me, I needed, I knew that I needed to move forward. I, you know, started sleeping on the couch and in my daughter's room and stuff like that, just because I was so tired that I needed a good night's sleep. So I went and saw the doctor and I said, Every, like everything that was going on and then he started asking questions about can you go out with your friends and can you do this and are you allowed to have a drink and I'm like no I'm not allowed to do any of these things and then he said the words it's abuseless this is abuse and I remember it flooring me in the doctor's room because I was like what do you actually mean this is abuse he doesn't hit me though and he said no 
he doesn't have to hit you. This is abuse. He's controlling your movements. He's controlling the way you think. He's telling you there's something wrong with you. This is abuse. And I remember that just really throwing me. And then I went home and Googled it a little bit and I went back and saw him and he said, I'm going to refer you to this counsellor and you need to go check in with her and see what she says. So I went and had an appointment with her and she said exactly the same thing. It's abuse. And I was like, wow. So I went home and I spoke to my husband, obviously not about that, but I just said, you know, I'm not happy. You're not happy. It's pretty clear we don't like each other. We're fighting all the time. You're always at me. You know, something needs to change. So we made a decision that we're going to go to Bali. I probably also made that because I always wanted to do it. And I thought it might be a nice opportunity for us to go away for a family and see if we um, could make it work as a family. And I'm like, if we can make it work outside of all the stresses of life, then, you know, it's not just us as a couple. It's just that we're too stressed and we need to work on that. Anyway, that holiday was 10 days of absolute pure hell. Absolute hell when we got there. So I had an inkling that he'd been taking drugs, as I said earlier, because I knew that his work colleagues did, but I didn't know how bad it was. So from the minute that we got there, he spent the most of the time in the fetal position on the bed and, you know, he was coming down. Little did I know that he had this rampant ice addiction. Anyway, I'd already Googled before we went there because I knew that he'd want marijuana when we got there that you could buy Valium, which is a a muscle relaxant over the counter. So I went and got some Valiums and things and that was the only way that I could get him to leave the house so we could actually do leave the um, villa so that we could actually do things with kids and get out of the place so you know that's what I went and went and did that and then on one night I'd made some friends with people on the plane on the way over and they'd invited us out for some drinks which he didn't want to go to and then I went out and had drinks and I took our daughters with me and when I got home he'd locked us out of the villa completely locked us out so we couldn't get in in a foreign country and we had to jump over the fence and going to the house and then the next day I took the kids shopping because I felt so sorry for them that we couldn't get in and stuff and then when I got home he proceeded to take 15 of these Valiums and we found him in the pool face down. Um, I thought I'd hidden the kids from that but that later come up in one of our federal police reports that we had to do with a psychologist. Our little daughter brought it up that she saw him in there. So the holiday went on for 10 days he and it ended with a huge fight at the airport to which he sat at the terminal gates while the kids and I went the other way. Then when we got back to Australia on in the car on the way home, I'd made my mind up I was going to leave. He knew it. He could tell that I was done and he began to cry and pleaded for forgiveness. He said that he was sorry for the way that he treated us and he'd had an accident prior to meeting me and he said that He did love us and he was sorry, but it was his brain and it was his accident that was making him act that way. The kids all cried and said that it was okay and they understood. So, you know, it was a conversation that just felt like pure manipulation. But, you know, it was pretty heartbreaking to hear the kids crying, so I'm like, maybe I need to stick this out. And then two nights later he was up in the garage again because he'd been back to work and seen whoever he'd seen and then a sequence of events happened over the next two weeks. So our son came out in a salmony pink coloured shirt and my husband at the time said to him, you look like a poof to get the shirt off. And I could just see that it broke him. And I was like, why are you speaking to him like that? 
So our son stood up to him for being mean and my husband threw him into the fridge. And I was like, this behaviour is just not okay. I could see that my son was being really affected by it, as so was everyone else. My son used to play football and then the next day we went down to his football match and my ex-husband sat in his ute and stared up at me while I managed the team's football game and my daughter said to me, Mum, he isn't even here to watch Jack. Look at him, he's watching you. A couple of nights later I had a friend come over for dinner and it was the only one that he liked and would tolerate and she would tolerate him and she goes, Loz, he's just pushing his food around the plate. Look at him, he's off his head. And I was like... Yeah, he is, isn't he? Because I don't know whether when you're in it, it's really hard to see out of it. So I just kept, you know, that was just normal behaviour for him. So I didn't even really take into account that he wasn't eating and stuff like that. And then for three nights in a row after that day, because I said to him, why are you not eating? He's like, I'm just not hungry. I ate at work. And then after that day, I had three dreams in a row, which were about snakes trying to attack me. There was another one where the skin came off. And then I went to work and I was telling my business partner about it and she's like, Google the meaning. So when I Googled it, they say that if you have a dream about a snake attacking you, the snake is almost symbolises some form of conflict or problem and you might be trying to run away from this issue. Whatever it is, dreaming about a snake attacking you is a sign that this problem will have to be sorted, whether you like it or not. Thanks, Google, my thought. And then another one said, if you dream of a snake shedding its skin, it symbolises transformation is about to take place in your life. And I said to her, what do you think that could be about? She looked me dead in the face and she's known me for 10 years and she said, your husband, for fuck's sake. Oh, and then the next night I went out for dinner with three of my girlfriends and each one of them spoke their mind to me lovingly but firm and told me about how bad he's treating me and that I needed to get out and that I deserved a better life than what I was living. Then the next night at the dinner table... My nine-year-old was full of attitude one night and he goes, what's wrong with you? And she said to him, you, I just don't like you. He woke me up many nights one night accusing me of masturbating and shook me so hard out of my sleep that I got really scared and I started to think he was really unstable and was starting to worry that he was actually going to hurt me if I didn't do something about it. So I slept in my daughter's bed because I just felt like he wouldn't come in there with me and the kids there. And after a few nights in the bed with my daughter, she said to me, mum, you don't lie much. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, you promised that if dad wrecked our holiday, we would move out and well, we're still here. And I remember just thinking, wow, I'm really implicating the kids now, like they're being very impacted by this. And then the next night, my son said to me, mum, what are you going to sleep in your daughter's bed forever? Then the next day I woke up and I remember it was no different to any other day. And I just had this feeling in my head that today was the day I was going to go. So we left, he left for work, I left for work, we got ready for normal. I left a debit card on the side of his bed with our savings in it because in my head I thought if I left him with the money, he'd let me go. I had no plan, no money, but I just knew that was the day. So on that day in 2019, I decided we were leaving. I dropped the kids at school and I went to work and at about 11 o'clock in the morning I rang my mum and I said, can we move in? with you today and she said yep I've been waiting for you to do this the garage is all set up and ready to go so I was absolutely terrified because I had known the whole time that I had to be prepared for the wrath that would happen after I left because if it was bad when I was in it I just knew that he was going to be worse when I left and wasn't he all <laughs> so it's a little bit cowardly because 
I didn't face him because I was too scared, but he mustn't have gone to work that day because later on in the day he rang me and he's like, why did you leave the savings guard pardon me, at home? I was trembling, I was shaking and I knew I was done. So I said to him, we're over, I'm not coming home. He was like, are you really doing this, are you? And I said, yep. And he goes, well, fuck you, I never want to see you again. Don't talk to me again. And that was it. I left work. I drove an hour back to home. I opened the boot of the suitcase and I just threw everything I could fit. Like my brother that has passed surfboard, our passports, all tangible items that I knew that he would like burn or use to hurt me. My son at first decided he wanted to stay in the house with his dad. He said he felt bad for leaving him there. Can you believe it after everything that had happened? But a couple of days later, so he stayed, I think, three nights. My youngest was really sick and had to go to hospital with diarrhea and stuff. And he'd, I'd messaged him and said, we're going to the hospital. He met me at the hospital and he left in a huff and was furious. And my son messaged me late at night and said that dad was throwing things all around the house and he was scared. So that was it. He, I picked him up the next day and then that's been, all three kids have been with me since. For the first two months in leaving, he used to show up at my mum's every day screaming to kill me, telling me he was going to come down to the football club and mess me up in front of everyone. He would, you know, would kick the car. He proceeded to kick the doors of the car in. His friends would send threatening messages and emails. I'd go to events and come out and there'd be letters on my car saying that he was, you know, I'm going to get it and I'm going to do this. And then one day... Uh, He showed up at the school quite aggressively to tell everyone that I was sleeping with the school counsellor and that's why the school counsellor was going against what he said and protecting me. And my daughter happened to be in the room with the school counsellor at the time and she hid it under the desk because she was so scared of him. So that's when I decided to go into uh, court proceedings. I'm still in court proceedings at the moment, nearly done, three years later. So... Yeah, that's when we started to go. So court proceedings, if anyone's been in court proceedings, are not as easy as what you think. And that really took quite a toll on me. And my first lawyer was pretty useless. So then I went through a few lawyers and now I'm self-represented. I obviously can't talk um, too much about that. Yeah, so now I'm three years out and feeling better. Really having to work on myself a lot though. Like one thing that I have learned is that just because you leave on that day, The journey's only just starting that day. So I suppose I thought in my head that my life was going to instantly be better if I left and it wasn't. So, you know, like as in it was better because I wasn't under his thumb and under control, but it took quite some time for him to stop trying to forcibly take control of my life and to actually let me go and let me live my life. And, you know, the court proceedings have got us to a point where the kids... um, stay with me and he has no time spent at the moment, which has allowed us to move somewhat on. But it's been quite a hard journey. So for me personally, if I have advice for anyone, I like to break it down into four stages. So if you're in the situation and you're thinking of leaving, go and get some things sorted out. So I like to say, I call it finding my wild Um, I actually have an Instagram page that I've set up in regards to this that, you know, I like to dump all my thoughts and lessons and learnings and things that I've learned along the way. But Find My Wild stands for W is for wealth, knowing your finances. So going and seeking legal advice, even if you do nothing with it, but you just know what you're looking at. 
you know, don't go speak to one lawyer, speak to a few because I wish I did that, but I did everything in such a flurry and such a hurry that, you know, I actually caused more stress on myself. Having a look at a budget because you need to do your life on your own now and, you know, even if you were the person managing the money or the person doing everything with the money, it's just knowing what money you've got coming in and stuff like that. Is there things that you can cancel and sort so life can be a bit better? Assets, really knowing what's going to happen with those. For an example, my ex, you know, we had a home together and he didn't pay the mortgage for two years, which is, it all came out of the wash at the end. But, you know, when I go to get um, finance for bits and pieces, I can't do it because my credit was so hurt from those two years. So really knowing your finances, if you've, you know, in Australia here, we've got Centrelink, which is like social services. So if you can get any of those payments, getting the process started early so that you, you've got a bit of independence when you leave. Okay, so that's the W for wild. And then we've got I for intention, emotional intention, understanding abuse for what it is. Text messages where someone's, you know, putting you down. You know, I've got text messages like you'll probably get mother of the year for this, Lauren. You think um, that we're happy. Are we happier now? You know, where I'm getting the blame. And then in the flip, in the midst of that, I would get a text message saying, look, I'm, I love you. I just want to sort this out. No, that's not love. It's not okay to be put down and then flipped around. So understanding that emotional intention, but also your own. Like when you're really in this struggle stage of your life, the things that you're doing, you know, understanding what they're, what you're doing them for. Like, you know, I became out and started doing really crazy rash behavior that I didn't realize I was trying to get validation for people because I felt so sad and lonely and broken and couldn't believe that someone I loved had treated me this way. So really understanding that emotional intention from you, from them, from the people around you so that you know how to best look after you and getting the support of where you need it. And then L stands for living, which is survival mode, the day-to-day things that you need to do to living. My life didn't really start getting better until I stopped struggling day-to-day and actually dug deep and started going to meditation, going for walks, taking time out and doing little bits and pieces for myself because you're just living in this fight or flight mode all the time that it's really hard to move through it until you stop and allow some time. Like every time my phone would beep or an email, you know, I blocked um, contact through text messaging. So then it went to emailing and, you know, it wasn't until I started looking after myself that I could just handle those situations just that little bit better. Uh, So really looking after yourself and just being okay with just living day to day and doing whatever little things that you can make yourself feel better for on that day. And then D is for creating divine love for you. Like for, you know, I was with my ex from 14 to 32. So for a big majority of my adult life, I'd been put down, ridiculed, told I wasn't good enough, told what I wore was bad the way I spoke was bad. I was embarrassing. I was too loud. I was too much. I was too all this stuff. So I had to recreate ways to love myself again. What did I like to do? What food did I like to eat? Where, you know, did I want my nails done? Did I want my hair done? Do I care about that kind of stuff? Do I want to go to the gym? So really focusing on you and like what you love and creating a life that you now get to live. And then there's also, you know, the separation with kids. So I found it really hard to grieve my life as it once was. By the end, I didn't love my ex-partner anymore. I was scared. 
to live in his presence and I didn't want to be around him anymore. And, you know, in all honesty, when I looked at him, it made me feel sick, like I did not have love for him anymore. So I was never really grieving him as a person because he created this monster that I just despised. It was more so my life that I'd lived and the life that I'd created was no longer as it was anymore. So, you know, I was trying to get that, my new life back. But when you're doing that with kids, especially if you've got your kids all the time due to violence and stuff like that, it can be really hard to be broken but be supportive of them and caring of them. And, you know, the first... 12 months was really rocky for me and I partied and drank and, you know, dated a guy that was just the exact replication of my ex but in a different form and we had a trauma bond and I went through it all over again, but so did they. So, you know, coming up with simple things that helped me really build a relationship with them and build our new life, you know, like things like sport and just being present and doing those kinds of things really helped me settle into that. So... If anyone out there is experiencing domestic violence or abuse in any way, shape or form, whether it's emotional, physical, sexual, financial, any of those things, I just want to say that it's hard to get out and I get it, but you can do this because as I like to say, you are brave and you are strong and you are loved and there are people out there that want to help you, you know, There's so many resources for you to make that leap of faith so that you can at least attempt to get somewhat of a life back again because you deserve it. It is scary and there's so much in unlearning the abuse that's been thrust on you, but you have totally got this and there's a big group of people like the podcast that we're on today or my personal page, Find My Wild, and I know there's so many other abuse pages and networks out there that want to see you get out and live the life that you deserve. So I hope my story has helped other people understand that they're not alone in this. And we all want comfort and support in knowing that there's others like us because, you know, too often we're taught in this life to just hide what's going on behind closed doors. And in this world today with social media being how it is and all this stuff happening. We're in a really special part where we don't have to live that life where we feel embarrassed or ashamed of what's happening to us. We can stand up to the situation and actually live a life, you know, go out, swim in the beach, wear the clothes we want, be the people that we want because we deserve it. So my name's Loz. That's a little bit of my story. I'm very thankful that you're here with me today and I'm so honoured to be given the opportunity to share my story.